hear his word. This is from Psalm 103 up to verse 10. A Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Father in heaven, you are our sovereign king, and this is your word, and we delight in it. We desire to understand it and obey it, and we submit now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we looked at Psalm 103, we looked at verse 8. Many of you know this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Our God is abounding in mercy. He is slow to anger. His mercy, <clears throat> his infinite mercy, and his love for his people, we see in it, in this abounding mercy, that he would send his only son to give us life and to forgive us. In verses 9 and 10, we see again his mercy and his great patience with us, and again, that he is slow to anger, it says. It talks about his anger again. In verse 9, the first part of verse 9, it says, he will not always strive with us. And in the King James Version, it uses the word chide, chide instead of strive. In his great mercy, he does not strive with us, it says. He doesn't always chide us. Chide means to express disapproval. It means to scold or rebuke or chastise or to sharply censure. That's what chiding is. He does not always chide us. Charles Spurgeon said, Though he shows his displeasure against us for our sins by the rebukes of providence and the reproaches of our own consciences, and thus we know grief, yet he will have compassion. And he goes on, he says, We ought to praise the Lord for what he has not done as well as for what he has wrought for us. Even the negative side deserves our adoring gratitude. He has not punished us as we deserve. We should praise him for not punishing us as we deserve and for not always chiding us. He does not always chide us. But he is a heavenly father. Like our heavenly father, he disciplines us in love. The second part of verse 9 says, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now many Christians, I believe, choose to not think much about the anger of God or the wrath of God toward our rebellion. They leave that out of his character because they don't want to think about it, maybe, or maybe they just don't want to accept it. But to do so dishonors God and perverts the gospel. The Lord's anger is righteous and holy, as everything about the Lord is. In Judges, it says, They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods and among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They did exactly what God had commanded them not to do, and they provoked him to anger. And even though we see here in Psalm 103, and all through the scripture, really, 
that our Lord is merciful and forgiving, we should never forget that we have been saved from the just wrath of God for our rebellion only by the Lord Jesus Christ. And to forget that, I believe, minimizes the cost of our salvation and does not show uh, the justice and the holiness of our God and the depravity of our sin. In Deuteronomy 9, Moses wrote, he said one word, first of all, he said, remember, exclamation point in the scripture, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. He was angry enough to have destroyed them. Now, there are a number of words and adjectives that are used. When you look up wrath, uh, it's many hundreds of times, and there are many adjectives that describe God's wrath. Fierce, I didn't write down how many times, but it was many times it talked about his fierce wrath. It talked about his burning wrath, his great wrath, and the expression, he says, my wrath will not will burn hot. My wrath will burn hot. Uh, or it says his wrath was aroused. His wrath was kindled. And it says the fury of his wrath talks about the fury of it. And we just don't hear much about that anymore. Psalm 90 says, who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. In Revelation 6, it says, and the kings of the earth the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid, him, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. It's talking about the wrath of the Lamb. For the day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Indeed. And we've been getting a picture of the wrath of God as we go through the book of Revelation. His wrath against his enemies. And a right understanding, I believe, of this, of the wrath of God, should help us all to have uh, compassion on the lost and proclaim the just penalty for sin and the only hope of salvation to them, knowing that they will experience his wrath without the propitiation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, without his atoning sacrifice. In Jeremiah, the Lord is uh, speaking to his people and he said, return backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God. So for his people, brothers and sisters, for his people, his anger has been propitiated. The Lord's blood has atoned for us. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, it says in 1 John 2. And the Lord also expresses his great mercy in Isaiah 54. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. And a mere moment of God's wrath is a terrible thing. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment. It was a fearsome thing then. But with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So back to Psalm 103, verse 10, it says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. If we had been dealt with or punished according to our sins, where would we be? We would not be here. 
Charles Spurgeon said, what would become of us if God should deal with us according to our sins? And God's anger could be aroused, it could burn, it could provoke, like I said. Uh, but his mercy is great. And as a father, he disciplines us now as his children in love, not in wrath. Charles Spurgeon said, if he had not been a God of patience, we should have been in hell long ago. But he has not rewarded us after our iniquities. He has not inflicted the judgments which we have merited. God's patience should lead us to repentance, Romans 2. He has pardoned our sins. And in verse 3 of this same passage, it says that he is the one who forgives all our iniquities. And then he concluded, let us thank God that we are not in hell. We are, not, we are yet on praying ground and on pleading terms with him. Praise God. We are on praying ground. Why is it that God has not dealt with us according to our sins? This is a man named Richard Baker back in the 1600s. Why is it that God has not dealt with us according to our sins? Is it not because he has dealt with another regarding our sins? Another who took our sins upon himself? And for us, and for us as his children, his righteous wrath has been poured out on his son. But for those who remain his enemies, his wrath will be poured out eternally. In Nahum chapter 1, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Colossians 3 says the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. But as we prepare to partake of this communion with the Lord, I'd like to conclude with the great gospel of hope that we know Two verses, which we have because his body was broken for us on the cross and his atoning blood was shed for us there. First one is First Thessalonians chapter 5. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been appointed to salvation, praise God, not to wrath. And then Romans 5, 8, which was uh, in the bulletin yesterday at Render Russell's memorial service. The gospel, by the way, as Rodney said, was clearly presented in word and in song. But this verse, this verse was on that bulletin. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. We, we see how he demonstrated it in his body and his blood. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, in other words, when we deserved wrath, Christ died for us. And then verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Praise God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, forgive us again for taking your mercy and your grace for granted. May we not forget your abundant mercy and your forgiveness and your divine favor and your grace to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you all praise and you alone for our salvation by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. And we humble ourselves now, and we praise you that in him you have saved us from your just wrath. Lord, thank you for appointing us to eternal life. Thank you for not dealing with us according to our sins or punishing us according to our iniquities. We do partake now in this table in obedience and by faith, thanking you for your great mercy to us. And we come to receive your grace also by faith so that we can continue to walk by faith and tell others the good news. And we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.